We're in our foundation series. We spent the first half on us and the Lord, the first several messages on you and God uh, and, and being a disciple of Jesus. We're now in the, in the phase of this series of disciples together, being disciples of Jesus together, connecting. So this message is why the church, why the church. If you've been in this church for several years, I don't know that you'll hear anything brand new today, but I'm pretty confident that you will hear something you need to hear again today. I boldly say that, but I believe that it is true. Um, the Lord has given me faith that this is a message he wants preached and he wants our hearts to hear because he cares about the church and he cares about us understanding what the church is and why we should be gathered together and be spending time together and what we're supposed to be doing that for, for, for whom and for what reasons. And the church is a holy thing. As I went through these passages again, preparing for this message, I was cleansed again to recognize just the holiness of God's people, the holiness of what it means to be united to his name as his bride. The great dignity is conferred on us and how that means we need to treat his church with honor. We need to treat his church with care and love and devotion because it is his bride. So that's what we're going to talk about today in various ways. And we'll be talking about it next week for the second part of this specific idea of why the local church. I'm going to start with a passage from Matthew 16. This is the first time that Jesus ever mentions the word church, this word ecclesia uh, in Greek. It's the first time it occurs in the revelation of Jesus Christ in this gospels in Matthew 16. I'm going to read verses 13 through 19. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah and others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. I want to start by zeroing in on verse 18. Jesus says, 2,000 years ago, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell or Hades shall not prevail against it. Another translation more literally would say the gates of hell or Hades will not withstand it. 
So in, in the midst of this world that Jesus has come to save that has largely rejected him at this point in his ministry, in the midst of a world that is through all its ages, apart from God's grace, destined for the judgment of eternal death, Jesus says there is something that we can be part of and belong to that he says death itself will not be able to overcome. According to Jesus, he is going to build it. It is his church. He says, it's my church. He says he will build it. And the gates of hell, that's literally Hades. There's at least two words that the New Testament uses for hell. One is Hades and one is Gehenna. Gehenna referred to a massive trash heap that burned in Israel outside of Jerusalem where people threw away everything. And it burned and burned and burned. It was a waste pile. But the word Jesus used here, Hades, is a word that refers more likely to Sheol, the place of the dead, the abode of those who go in the ground where their spirits go. It's a sad place in the Old Testament. It's the place where God is not praised, where things are forgotten, people who go there remembered no more. So Jesus is saying that eternal death, which is the judgment, according to Jesus, upon all of mankind, will not be able to withstand or overcome the power, the safety, the security of his church that he builds. So he's telling us, in effect, the most important thing we could hear, that there is a way to be saved from what God says is coming upon all people, which is eternal death. And he says, here I am going to build a shelter. Death won't be able to overtake it. Won't be able to overcome it. And he calls it his church. So Jesus is telling us a truth that that can't be more important to hear. And we should see at a minimum, if Jesus is telling us the truth, that whatever this thing church is, and it may not mean what we think it is, but whatever it means, we want to be part of it because it is going to withstand eternal death. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, which is death. And he says that that mission is correlated to, is expressed in the building of this church that will not succumb to death. So Jesus' saving work and the church are one in this passage. The salvation of sinners And the reality of the church, it's one thing. The salvation of sinners is expressed in the creation and the existence and the protection and the sustaining, enduring power of the church in this passage. 
So we want to we be found in that, that church. Let's, let's take a closer look to draw out what Jesus means. Because I want to try to explain what he means by church more specifically. If we go back a step from that, Jesus is asking the disciples, who do you think I am? Who do you think I am? And there's only one person who stands up and says the, the, the truth. He says, you are the Christ, the son of God. And that is Peter. And Peter does that because he is the first, as far as we know, he is the first to be enlightened by God to believe something crucial, which is that Jesus is the son of God. Peter is the first of the apostles, not the only one, but the first of the apostles to have this divine message about Jesus revealed to him. And so when Jesus says, Peter, you get it, and I'm going to build something on you, he's talking about building something on the person who believes the divine message about Jesus Christ. See, what is special about Peter in this passage is not that he, he is like the first pope. That's not what's special about Peter. And what's special about Peter in this passage is not that he's like the boss of the disciples, the first of the disciples and tells them what to do. The, the Bible and church history does not bear either of those things out. What's special about Peter here and what is therefore special about the church eventually, what's special about Peter here is that God has revealed to him the truth about Jesus, that he is the Christ, the son of God and the Lord of all. Peter has received the revelation about Jesus. And through that message, the truth about Jesus and on that message, the truth about Jesus, Christ is going to build the church. So, so keep following me here. The church is the word ecclesia. It's called out ones. Called out ones. People called out from something. It's, it also means the congregation or the gathered ones or the assembly of the people or the community of people. And specifically here in this context, it doesn't just mean people. It means the people who will believe the divine message about Jesus, just like Peter did. That he is the Christ, the son of God, the Lord, and the ruler of the world. So these are, now Jesus is telling us there's two crucial things we need to keep in mind about what the church is. Ecclesia. It is a people. When we are called to be part of a church, we are being called to be part of a community of people. That is what a church is, ecclesia, a congregation, an assembly, a gathering. It's not a building. Like, hey, at the corner of 5th and St. John's, the church is selling these things. Or I'll see you guys at church on Sunday. I, I understand, I'm not gonna be word policing that, that's okay. But that's not what Jesus means at all here. It is not a building. It's not an event. You're going to go to church. I was late for church. It doesn't mean that we don't gather. We do. We have services. That's fine. Not word police in that. But that's not what he means. And, it's, it's, and here's the other thing. So, so it's a people. It's a people. It's a people. Okay. Here's the other thing. 
It's, it's also not simply a principle of beliefs, right? But it's not, not a, prince, a set of beliefs. It, it's not just a group of people. It's not just a gathering of folks who want to care about each other and love each other. It isn't. It is the people who have come to believe a specific thing. And that specific thing is incarnated in what Peter said. The specific thing they've come to believe is that Jesus Christ is the son of God. He is the Messiah and they are therefore committed to him as Messiah and Lord. And of course, everything else that God reveals about Jesus, including that he's the savior of our sins, which is said in other places, but not specifically here. But my point is the church is not a building. It is people. But the church is not just people. It is people who have received and embraced the message about Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, that he is Messiah, Savior, and Lord. And that, that group of people assembled is what withstands death. That group of people is what withstands, that group of people, and as far as Jesus explains it, them alone is what withstands death. Hades, eternal destruction. So, you got to be part of the church. If Jesus is telling the truth, you got to be part of the church. And, and just don't hear me saying you got to come at 9 a.m. to Living Hope Community Church or Mountain View at 10 a.m. Don't hear me saying that yet. Because as we'll see, don't hear me not saying that either. But, and I'll try to explain what I mean. There's, there's two ways we can think about the church in the Bible, two major ways. We can think about the church universal. That's all believers in Jesus Christ since the church began. And certainly that is part of what Jesus means here when he says, upon this rock, I will build my church. All genuine, regenerate believers throughout history, whether they were ever part of a local church or not, are part of this church, the church, the universal, invisible church. Because when you believe in Jesus Christ, when you share in what Peter was given, which was the revelation that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God and the Messiah, you are automatically placed into his invisible body. All people, you are connected with all those who have believed that throughout history and in the future. You become a body, a people with them, whether that actually gets functionalized in your life or not. It happens spiritually, invisibly. You can't make it happen and you can't stop it from happening. And if you are not part of that universal church, it doesn't matter if you come to a church on a Sunday. You're not part of the church. Because you have to experience God revealing to you who Jesus is truly in your heart in a way that results in your life changing and your following of him. Not perfectly, but truly. So please understand that when we talk about commitment in a local church, we're not talking about making people part of Jesus Christ's bride. We can't do that. We can only proclaim God must do that. But, but the second way that the Bible talks about the church all the time is also implicit in this text. Especially at the end when Jesus talks about loosing and binding. 
loosing and binding. He's getting into matters of receiving people into a community and expelling people from a community. And we'll see that later as we move into this message on one of the marks of a church. Church in the Bible refers also to local gatherings of believers committed to each other for the sake of Jesus. Church in the Bible refers to local gatherings of believers committed to each other, specific people committed to specific people for Jesus' sake, to help them follow Jesus, love Jesus, endure and stay with Jesus until they make it safe across the finish line. That's probably one of the ways that I can concretize in my mind what my role is as a pastor I said it again, Chris, make, make it functional, make it grabbable for me, is that one of my jobs and one of my calls is that I want to do what I can to help you make it across the line into Jesus' arms from this life into next. It's not just my job, it's your job with each other too. But that's what I want to do. I don't want to see you for a year and then not see you again. Or for th- I, I want to help you make it and including making it into another healthy church or another good church, a better church than our church. But, but that's what I'm here to do. I'm here to watch over your souls in Jesus Christ. That's what a pastor does, but that's what we're all called to do together. The local church is an organized group of geographically related Christians who are committed to one another, to help each other worship, to help each other grow, to serve each other, And yes, they, they together are connected to other churches. They send money like we're doing, Lord willing, with Gospel Haiti. Or they send resources like Covenant Life does with us when they send us Kevin and Steve Weisga and Robin to teach us and to help us. So we're connected to other churches. Like when we partnered last year with, with Matt Makas Church, Mount Airy, Christ Church Mount Airy. You see that all happening in the Bible. But, but listen, in scripture, people do this as members of a visible local community that they're called to be part of, to participate in, to express. To express their belonging in the universal church. That expression of your belonging in, a, in the universal church, in the New Testament, it really does take place by your belonging to and living in a local church. A local church. You can't have... In the New Testament, you don't see one without the other. You don't see one without the other in the New Testament. What the Bible teaches is that when we become, by God's doing, part of the universal invisible church, the global body of Christ, God's plan is that this universal membership in the global body of Christ, that it would be expressed in a local membership, in a specific community of believers to know and love and don't get hung up when I said local membership. There can be formal memberships and informal memberships. But as we look and consider that membership idea, it is people who are known and people who know. Like you have to know whether you want to call it a piece of paper that you sign or not. It doesn't work in the Bible to not know whether you're part of a church or not. It doesn't work. So however you want to express it, God calls all people to try to 
at some point, Lord willing, they can find a good one, raise their hand and say, yeah, I'm part of this local community. So these two things go hand in hand. Here's like the, the big statement that I'm trying to make with this message that I hope you guys will see is in scripture and not just something I'm trying to say. Belonging to the church, the real universal Jesus church, the one and only true church, belonging to the church is expressed in being committed to a church. Belonging to the church is expressed in being committed to a church. And some of you guys are like, I've been in churches and I've, I've, I've gone through awful things and I have too. You've been sinned against in churches. I have too. You've sinned against others in churches. I have too. And it can be really painful. And it can take you a long time to get healing from that. For real. But I'm, I'm not saying these things to try to get you into my ministry empire this morning. I'm saying these things because Jesus says these things. And because everything in the New Testament confirms what I'm saying, that belonging to the church is expressed in being committed to a church. You can't be in a church in abstraction and really be doing what Jesus calls you to do. You can't. I remember talking to a guy several years ago in the middle of COVID. He was, because of COVID, he was checking out of church. And he actually had been checking out of church for some time. And me and Mike were trying to really try to understand and try to help him. I remember sitting down with him and he went on and on and on about how he cared so much about the local church and was so grieved about the lack of courage in the local church, how they weren't standing up against mask mandates and how they were meeting virtually and what a transgression that was against God's command to not forsake meeting together. And he went on and on and on. I'd barely seen this guy for years. Long before COVID ever started. And I remember saying to him, hey, listen, you can say all this stuff. You can say you love the church. Like you love the American church. You care about the American church. But where have you been, man? (laughs) For years now, where have you been? You can't say that in abstraction. Church doesn't happen in abstraction. It's specific. It's concretized. It's real. You know, it's, it's getting your hands dirty with people. So what I'm going to do now and next week as well is I'm going to try to unpack four really clear pillars that, that prove, I, I hope from scripture, that prove this statement. And you, you might already believe it. Like most of you guys are probably like, yes, amen, Albert. But I want you to feel it more deeply. I want to feel it more deeply. Because I believe God wants us to feel this more deeply. Man, God cares about this church. We are small. You know, you've heard me say it again for the long timers. They know what I mean. We have been blown up in the wrong direction years ago. 
But he is here. <laughs> he is here. He cares about you. He cares about me. He has not given up on us. This is a beautiful place because of him living inside you. There are some of the most beautiful souls I wouldn't trade mega church for. I, really, I wouldn't in this congregation. I love being able to pray when, when I do. I try to pray for you weekly. I love being small enough to pray for each of you by name. And I believe God has more work for us to do. He has repairing work for us to do. He has rebuilding work to, uh, for us to do. And he's doing it, I believe, right now, <laughs> this morning. So I'm going to bring us over the, today and, and next time four ways that I see the local church evidenced in Scripture. That, that this is true, that belonging to the church is expressed in being committed to a church. They have to go together in God's call in our lives. First, the concept of one another's. We've been talking about one another's for two weeks. But the concept of the one another's necessitates commitment to a specific community of believers. The concept of one another's necessitates commitment to a specific community of believers. Let me explain what I mean. Listen to Colossians 3, 12 through 15. This is God talking to the church and Colossus through the Apostle Paul. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in all your hearts, that your is plural, y'all's hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful why should we be thankful? Because of this message about Jesus. Verse 16, let the message about Christ, his salvation over your life and all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all wisdom that he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. How are you going to do this if you barely know the people in your church? How are you going to obey these commandments if you don't know the people in a local church? How are you going to do any of this? You can't. How are you going to forgive if you're not close enough to get hurt? How are you going to forbear and make allowance for each other's faults if you're not close enough to get irritated and frustrated? This passage massively assumes proximity to one another and connecting and knowing one another. It's, it's, it assumes that is what is happening. 
It's the only way you can live these out. This passage is not an isolated occurrence. It's not like Paul just, there's this one church that was really rich and hanging out together and he, so he wrote these special things because that church was so particularly gifted in loving one another and knowing each other. No, this is just, this is a non-exhaustive list of the one another's in the New Testament. This is not exhaustive. I'm just gonna read off a few from the DR training. Love one another, John 13, 34, John 15, 12, 17, Romans 13, 8, 1 Thessalonians 3, 12, 4, 9, 1 Peter 1, 22, 1 John 3, 11, 4, 7, 11, and others. I, I, I'm gonna stop reading those verses. I just wanna, it's, it's all over the place. So I'm, I'm not gonna do references for everyone now. I'll just go through them one by one. But these are in the Bible, I promise you, if you want the verses, because you don't believe me, I'll show you. But you, you, I'm sure you believe me. So love one another, lay down your lives like Christ laid down his life for us, repeated again and again and again and again. It is the commandment that subsumes every other commandment under it. And all the other commandments are expressions of it. Be devoted to one another. Be devoted to one another. Be devoted. Bear one another's burdens. You gotta know people and be with them to devote yourself to them to bear their burdens. You gotta understand what's going on in their lives. Mourn with one another. You gotta know when they're sad and why they're sad. Regard one another as more important than yourself. You have to have people around you (laughs) to regard people as more important than yourself. Regard one another that way. Comfort one another. You gotta know people need comfort. You gotta be around them. Gently and patiently be long-suffering with one another. Like I said, you gotta be close enough to get irritated and frustrated which is why gentleness and patience is called for. Be kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving toward one another. Spur one another on to love and good deeds. I love that. Go after it. That's not a, a hey, if it happens to me thing. That's go after people. Pursue them to encourage them to go after Jesus. Confess our sins to one another. I love that so much. I get so much strength from bringing my sins out to Jacob or to Mike or others. I get freed up because Jesus blesses that. Speak truthfully to one another. Pray for one another. Be fervent in prayer. Be ready to counsel one another. Help one another out of sin. Serve one another in love. Show hospitality to one another. Admonish, instruct, teach, warn one another. Rejoice with one another. Sing to one another. We read that Colossians 3 daily Exhort one another, encourage and build one another up. Share your goods, your clothing, your food, your drink, your water. Share your material goods with one another when in need. This is not exhaustive, but this is, this reveals a dull reality. You cannot do these things in abstraction. And yes, we're called to love the idea of the church in the world, we're called to love all Christians in the universal church and abstraction. But the scripture, because we can't know them, but the scriptures portray us expressing the reality and the validity of that love. If we really do love the universal church, we're going to love specific people in a specific church. So unless you're called to itinerant ministry, and some people are over history, there are some qualifications to what I'm saying. But unless you're called to an itinerant ministry like the Apostle Paul or Billy Graham or J. Hudson Taylor, the normative, overwhelming implication of Scripture is that you and I are called to forbear and forgive and admonish and teach and sing and mourn and comfort and counsel to real people 
in an ongoing relationship with them over time in a church. In the DR training, there's this little banner under discipleship relationships. The little banner is something along the lines of our vision for discipleship relationships in Living Hope Church is that each person in our church would be loving someone faithfully and being loved by someone faithfully in this church. That everyone in this church would be pursuing loving someone faithfully and being loved by someone faithfully. That's what we want. You can't know everybody. You can't fellowship with everybody. But there should be someone here that you are pursuing, that you are seeking to love faithfully over time, that you can really live these commandments out with. And there should be someone in your life who is doing that for you over time. You might have a really good reason why you're not doing that. You might. Sometimes people do. But if you're not doing that, you should have a really good reason. If you're not investing in someone to faithfully love them and to allow yourself to be faithfully loved by them, you need to have a really good reason. Why? The one another's of the Bible necessarily imply knowing and walking with a specific group of people in a local church. I'm going to stop here and next week we'll be talking about the three other big pillars, the gifts, church discipline and elders and pastors. And I hope if you're not convinced now, by the end of next week, you will be convinced that churches matter. And because of that, this church matters, that local churches are worth your investment, your love, your faithfulness. They're worth trying to do your best to care for them. And that because of that, this little church is worth your heart's investment, trying to do your best for her, trying to help one another do their best for her. I don't want to just say one more thing about fellowship with one another because that was the highlight here. You don't have to be in a DR, like this specific methodology that I've brought before you guys. It's not supposed to be complicated. Truth, life, and prayer with people committed over time. We're starting this month, and my plan is that this term will end in June. I want to invite you, if you haven't done it, to consider it. Do the training, think about it. You don't even have to commit to it in the training. Just come up and tell me you want to you think about it, you want to be there at the training, and I'll, and I'll help you. It doesn't have to look like the DR thing. But it needs to look like something. Your loving one another needs to look like something. If it's on your heart to start a small group, let's say you want to be in a, in a, in a little small Bible study with men and women. I love that. I, I, I'm still trying to figure out how to 
the dynamic between community groups and discipleship groups in our church, how to make that work. You can create something. I will help you. I'll, I'll be all for it. If you're like, you know, I want to do a little small group with a few married couples or with the small group of singles. I, I want to get together with them regularly. It doesn't have to be the DR methodology. If you have a dream about it looking like something, there's a really good chance that I would love to help you do that and to help promote it here, to invite people into what you want to lead or you want to do. I mean, if it's crazy or it feels unsafe, I'll try to be honest about that, but it doesn't have to look like the DR, but it needs to look like something, brothers and sisters. It should look like something. So, my appeal, love this church and let it look like loving one another. Let me help you do that. I'm going to pray for us. Lord, uh, I thank you so much for your bride. And I pray, God, that, uh, that people would love one another here. That it wouldn't be superficial it would involve cost. It would involve forbearing and forgiving and long suffering because that will reveal real love is taking place. I pray that over this church. I pray that you would, Lord, deepen our relationships with one another, God, for your glory, that we might meet with you in meeting with each other, that we might better reflect your love for us. Lord, please, thank you for being faithful to us through so much. Thank you that, Lord, you are being faithful to us right now. Help us, Lord, to see this incredible call we have to grab each other by the hand and to help each other make it to you day after day, week after week, month after month, until we cross the line into your arms. Safe forever. This is your church. The gates of Hades, death itself will not overcome us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.